This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. And here's Fox creeping forward. He pulls up, 18-footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. Makes one, stakes twice, gives the belly. 35-foot three for the win. Nevada, Bielitsa. It's with us every swim, man. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat, golf, whatever you want to do. But 40, 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. And real quick, before we get into it, I just want to say anybody that's being affected by these fires going on in California to uh, stay safe out there. But yeah, for now, we're going to keep some content rolling for everybody here. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we always do. What's going on, Rich? How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I was uh, spent the morning outside, and yeah, it's not a great situation. Definitely, definitely praying for those that are affected right now. I know we got some some people over at Kings Herald that have family that lives close to what's going on there. With I mean, geez, the fires really they cover the whole state sometimes, and hopefully that won't happen again. But um, yeah, I mean. On a, on a lighter note, we're here today to talk about basketball, of course, and I'm very excited to welcome in our guest, Jonathan Macri. How are you doing today, sir? I'm I'm doing great. Um, I also want to send my, you know, I guess uh, good good uh, whatever good vibes I could send uh, to the people affected over there. I um, I also want to congratulate you guys um, on the Kings Herald. Um, it's so I don't know if you know this. There's a site that just launched um, yesterday here in New York called the the Strickland, which is a bunch of the the posting and posting guys who were under the SB Nation umbrella, kind of took inspiration um, in part from from the King's Herald to go and form their own site. And yeah, I'm, I'm actually contributing there like a bit here and there. So uh, yeah, man, it's it's an awesome thing that you guys did. That's that super rad. I saw that site. I didn't realize that's that's what it was. Um, yeah. yeah, it's Nick's uh, Nick's coverage is basically all the yeah all those guys kind of went and like hey we could we could do this <laughs> and they and they did. 
Yeah, they deserve it, man. I, it's tough sometimes to work for those bigger sites, and it definitely seems like Vox is steering away from uh, the the individual voice, and that's tough to see. But um, yeah, people that people take the, that take the initiative, it's always going to pay off. So um, uh, definitely going to be rooting for you guys and following along there. Um, but yeah, the reason we brought you in today, in particular, is because of Scott Perry, who is getting all types of buzz and hype about this new opening as GM of Sacramento Kings. Uh, Brendan, do you want to break down like exactly what we've been hearing and who we've been hearing uh, this buzz from? Yeah, I have a, there was a big piece from, you know, right before we started this, we had a debate on if it's Shams or, or Shane. How, what is it? What is the way that you think it is here, Rich? Cause you have been correcting me. I've heard it as Shams Shania, and and now and I looked it up and it says Shams. I I honestly don't know if it's Shams Shania or Shams Shania. It's, it sounds like he says Shams when he says it, but that may just be his accent because I I inevitably say Shams, but it just that's my my instinct. I totally I could totally be wrong here. <laughs> but yeah, piece from Shams Shams and Amick that came out recently um, talking about the the GM opening saying that um, uh, the relating to Perry, quotes I have here, sources say that there has been a swell of support both internally and externally for former Kings Vice President of Basketball Operations, Scott Perry. Also, Ronadive and Perry, sources say, are known to be on very good terms and have kept in touch since their time together came to an abrupt end after three months. Um I was surprised to see Perry's name thrown out here a bunch. Was it the same for you, John, to see his name floated around for the Sacramento job? Um, well, it, it it depends on on when. I mean, bef- before uh, everything went down with with Vlade and uh, Peja, I, I was not expecting his name to come up um, in any jobs because he had just signed, um, basically agreed to to continue as the GM for the next year. Um, there's some talk about that he he signed the one year extension, but uh, the reporting on that, and I have not been able to get a clear answer either because he there was a mutual option for the season. So if you if you're like, okay, he signed an extension, does that mean he's on here for two more years? In any case, um, you know, the talk around here was that he was excited to you know be on board with Leon Rose, that there was a, a good working relationship there. Um, initially he was, you know, it would be more part of a team than, you know, him being the main decision maker. But then once Vladi, everything happened there, was I surprised to see his name in connection? No, I wasn't. Cause I think the situation there, I'm sure we'll get into it is maybe not going to be all too dissimilar from the one that he walked into here with the Knicks. Yeah, there's obvious connections really throughout I mean obviously so he was with the Kings for three months um was that I believe I'm trying to find this here was vice president VP of basketball ops yeah okay so and then and he was you know he's credited as having a strong influence and you know who really knows that's the that's kind of the problem here but who really knows who influenced each move but he's he's credited with uh having strong influence over the De'Aaron Fox pick and perhaps the best three months of uh, King's executive decisions in quite some time. Um, So there's obviously that link, but then also Joe Dumars was brought on as an advisor 
and is now conducting this search for a GM. And Perry was hired, I believe, his first executive job for the Pistons. He was hired by Dumars back all the way back in June of 2000. So connections definitely run deep. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, we'll, we'll go through uh, a, a lot of Perry's decisions here. And like you said, it does kind of start in 2000, his first job with Detroit as a scout for two years before he was upgraded in 2002 to director of player personnel for that team to 2007. And I'm just curious how much you guys put into this because it was a very up and down time in Detroit for Joe Dumars, but Perry was really there for for the good times for the most part. Um, in 2004, the team made the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and then they made it every single year until he left. Um, it's hard, obviously, to you know distribute credit in these front offices. And again, Perry's title for most of that time was Director of Player Personnel. But you got to think it, of it as a little bit of a positive being around what was like a championship environment and constant playoff team over and over, right? I mean, it's a it's a good start and um, situation to be around to start out your career at the very least, right? I mean, I, I think it's, it's especially interesting to look back on um, in retrospect, you know, given every how the if you look at the stops he's he's had since, there's, you know, and again, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more, but like the kind of a theme of just going out and getting um, veteran guys, even if, you know, veteran, like, quote-unquote, win-now players, even though it doesn't always seem like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and sure enough, there was a light at the end of the tunnel in Detroit, but at the same time, it's interesting to look at that team as kind of like, in a lot of ways, you know, the anomaly of the last, I guess you'd say, four decades in the NBA, where, you know, obviously no top player and kind of a mishmash of talent, but it worked there. And I, I almost, I've wondered myself, actually, does his experience there, you know, ha, ha, did it shape his decision, how he makes decisions in team building moving forward? Because I think there were some definite through lines through throughout his career. Yeah, and not being essentially the man in charge there, like it's, it, you know, it's it's hard to figure out what exactly he deserves credit for. Uh, I will say that is by far the most successful stretch for any team that he was a part of. Um, the I think he departed, let's see here, 2008, 2007, he departed the Pistons. And then really since then, hard to find a very successful organization that he's been a part of. And also he's been uh, much higher up the ladder in terms of his position. Um you want to get into into his next stint here, Brendan? Yeah, I have a 2007-2008. He got assistant GM title out of that Detroit job in Seattle. And really, I mean, the notable thing here in that short run was drafting Durant second, which, you know, obviously it's Kevin Durant, but I, I think that was kind of a uh, pretty obvious decision there. And I think where we really dive into it, and there is something to be said for just making the obvious pick. Sacramento fans are very aware of that one. Um, but yeah, I think where you really start to dive into it and where I feel like he probably had a good say, um, and there's a little bit to go off of here would be going back to Detroit in 2008, where he was the vice president of basketball operations and, you know, kind of looking at 
some of these draft picks here are what I have laid out in front of me, and it's a little discouraging. Um, you know, they're not amazing drafts necessarily, but like 2010, pick seven, he went with Greg Monroe. It's not terrible, but you did see, you know, Paul George go 10, Bledsoe 18. You don't knock them all too much for that, but then you have you know, two more years after that where you're also in the top 10. In 2011, pick eight, Brandon Knight went. um, And, you know, he he had a good start to his career, but you saw Kemba go nine. Sacramento fans know Jimmer went 10, Clay 11. uh, If you want to get a little layer, like Kawhi 15, Vucevic 16, Tobias Harris 19. Like, it's an all right pick, I guess. Um, not very inspiring, especially. And then again, you know, the next year you're still in this lottery. You have pick nine where there was Andre Drummond selected. And also in the second round they picked up Chris Middleton. But then not long after that draft, he found himself um, accepting the Orlando job. So I don't know how much I put into the Drummond and Middleton picks. And those are honestly, is two most impressive picks during that stretch. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a little bit of an uninspiring time that he spent in Detroit trying to go in a rebuild and seemingly not making all that much progress, right? No, I, yeah, uh, sorry, I was, I was just going to say, it's like, it, it again, like that late lottery range is like if you look throughout where his teams, coincidence or otherwise, throughout his career happen to pick, it's like, they're not bad enough to pick near the top, but they're well with it, except the next pick that we're going to talk about in Orlando, which that, again that wasn't his team that finished, you know, with that terrible record, so he can't even take responsibility. But it's a lot of these like late top ten picks where it, you know it's hit or miss. Yeah, absolutely, and and obviously we can look at draft stuff first. I think that's timely considering today is is lottery day. Um, but there are other moves as well, of course, you know, free agents, trades, all all this. And ultimately, probably your yardstick at the at the end of the day is going to be, you know, wins and losses. And the Pistons really did not do great under him there. Uh, you know, 27 wins in 2009-10, uh, 30 wins in 2010-11, 25 wins, 11-12, 29 wins in 2012-13 before moving over to the Magic. Um, And his time with the Magic, like, also not super encouraging, I'll say. Yeah, Um, and this is where I felt like we could dive into it a little bit here. Um, And, yeah, his role with the Magic, the title I found, was Vice President of Basketball Operations and Assistant GM, where he took over in 2012. And one of the first moves there was the blockbuster blockbuster Dwight Howard trade where he received back Aaron Aflalo, Al Harrington, Mo Harkless, Vucevic, Josh McRoberts, Christian Ayanga, I believe is how you pronounce that last name, and then a slew of picks as well that the picks didn't end up being all too much for them there. Um, I, I guess like looking back in hindsight, it was a okay trade just considering like how Dwight ended up working out after that but at the time Dwight was one of the best players in the league Um, he had requested out so that lowers the trade value that you're obviously going to get in any move there but kind of an uninspiring package and interestingly that trade that was a four-team trade 
kind of was a negative for all teams involved, aside from maybe, um, I believe it was Denver that ended up acquiring Andre Iguodala from the Sixers in that as well. Um, so not an amazing move there, but it, again, I mean, similarly to how it was in New York, I believe he came into a situation with a superstar that was asking out. So he got a decent return for that. And it is kind of funny looking back, like Vooch, I think you could probably argue, you know, he's he's, he's been the best Magic player uh, over the last eight years, um, even though, you know, it took him a little while to to get there. And if if whether it's now, whether it's six months from now, whether it's a year from now, I think there's going to be a, a good argument that Mitchell Robinson, who was obviously picked with the with the selection that they got back in the Mellow deal, might be, you know, the best asset he leaves behind um, with the Knicks. So it's like he's... <laughs> Again, not that it was a great a great trade because, like you said, Dwight Howard was still like an All NBA uh, performer, and you would have thought maybe they could get something more. But you know, in retrospect, not not terrible. They got a commensurate return, I guess. And again, hindsight being what it is. Right, and then there's guys like uh, Oladipo that he drafted, who you know obviously became a very good player, but didn't realize that potential with the Magic. So Hard to say if that worked out too great, and then Oladipo was traded around. So, uh, but you know, again, I'm just going by if I'm looking at wins and losses. Again, can be a little bit, a little bit tough. I, um, yeah, I was, I just wanted to th- throw in real quick regarding the you know Oladipo. Like looking back, I think it's pretty uh, safe to say that Oladipo was was the right pick. Obviously, he wasn't the best player from that draft because you know. Giannis ended up going uh, whatever it was, 15th. Um, but it's the trade, you know, him trading away Oladipo and Sabonis for um, Serge Ibaka on an expiring contract, It like, that doesn't get talked about enough, I think, as one of the low-key, I don't know, five worst trades of the decade. And, again, he wasn't the man in charge. It's impossible to say for sure. But it, he he has gone on record many times and saying it's like, you know, nobody wins when you're trying to lose games. It's like that's not a, that's not a cogent organizational strategy. That was clearly a win-now move that backfired in every way. It backfired in the talent that he was sending out. It backfired in the talent that he was getting in. And so that, you know, and then – he had a kind of a love affair with Alfred Payton, very athletic but flawed guard. Again, a kind of another Perry type, um, and that you know his 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 obsession—I don't say obsession—but his interest in Payton followed him to New York, and it's like you know oh for two. So he, the, I, to me, looking back at his Orlando tenure, it was definitely a precursor to maybe some of the things that that we've seen with him in charge in New York. Yeah, right. Mentioned- Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the obviously the Ibaka trade that was just horrific there, and then trading up to get Peyton as well. He got rid of, or it was the pick that was Dario Saric yep. um, and some additional assets moved up to get Alfred Peyton there. And then, you know, struck out pick five in 2015 as well with Hazonia, but not the best draft. Um, still not a good pick there. Like Willie Cauley-Stein went six, Turner 11, Booker 13. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's really like you look at this Ibaka move, like w- because there was also Aaron Gordon we glossed over a little bit as well that I thought was a good yep. pick. Um, but yeah, I mean, Oladipo, Sabonis, if they were on this team as well, like you got to think the Magic would be in a decent spot here. The um, Ibaka was 
flipped not all too long after. Um, I'm actually unsure if this was during Perry's time. It might have been right after the end of it. But, yeah, he was eventually I, flipped. No, it, I, think it, I think it was because was, Obaka didn't even spend a full season there. They flipped him because their season obviously did not go the way it, they had planned, and it, they flipped him mid-year for Terrence yeah. Ross, who's, who's yeah. been a nice player for them. But it's like, you know, you, they pulled you turned the Depot that. into the bonus into Terrence Ross. Into Terrence Ross, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like one positive trade I'll point out um, would be Aaron Aflalo for Evan Fournier. And Aflalo was a guy that, you know, was like a borderline all star. And Fournier was kind of an up and coming guy that, you know, that had a lot of question marks at first and it ended up working out pretty well for him, uh, trading that back in 2014. But. Yeah, it doesn't uh, override the the poor moves that happened in Orlando. And, yeah, I mean, I will say, like, again, without that Ibaka trade, I think Orlando would be in a nice spot. But, again, I mean, this is the second team in a row that he went to and was sort of unsuccessful in doing a rebuild and kind of kept them, like you're pointing out, in that late lottery spot, right? Yeah, and, and, you know, it's like, it's, you know, and if I was to, give like a, a theme to his to his record overall and you know we're getting into the Knicks now so it'll become more clear it's like it you could wake you could make be a win now GM in the NBA and and value the notion of like winning games and like that's the best way to instill certain values in your young players and your roster and all that stuff but you still need to competently put together that roster and I think it was interesting in Orlando like you look back and like again Aaron Gordon, talented player. Victor Oladipo, talented player. They had Booch, talented player. Like, they had talent, but there wasn't that kind of deft touch that the best GMs have to take that t- talent and turn it into a cohesive unit. Um, you know, and also, and I'm blanking at the moment, of course, on who the coach was for those Orlando teams, but, you know, it takes hiring um the right coach as well and it's like I, I, I don't think they had um, I've, that was after the Stan Van Gundy years and before obviously Steve Clifford um, but it's like you know it, it takes all the different pieces of the puzzle oh that's right it was <laughs> yes it was Jacques Vaughn um, and then Scott Skiles um, so you know we'll see what Vaughn becomes as a coach but hired a first time coach guy had never coached before very young coach to try to put together these interesting pieces, like that's, you know, maybe in, again in retrospect was not the the best way to go. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore. So everyone can benefit from Therawan CBD products. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 35% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. Therawan tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. And now, through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, Therawan is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all Therawan products but you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun, T-H-E-R-A-G-U-N dot com slash bluewire. 
but only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragun.com slash bluewire. And just to recap the magic years in terms of wins and losses, not successful there. 20 wins, 23 wins, 25 wins, 35, and then I believe he was still there in 2016-17 when Frank Vogel became head coach, and they won 29. Um, yeah, not good. I mean, it's, if we're stacking this up, we're up to nine seasons of, of well below 500 basketball. Um, and I just wanted to give a shout-out to Mario Hazonia, who is not talked about enough, I think, as a as like a failed top-five pick. I know Perry later brought him into uh, the Knicks, where I think you know his career highlight might have been that one <laughs> dunk on Giannis. But, you know, outside of that moment... Well, the block on block. Any block on, LeBron come on now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The block on LeBron. It's a game-winning block right there. He has those moments, but, I mean, for a top-five pick... Uh, and he's still 25 years old, I guess. But I, I mean, just there's there's as many you know hits. There's been just as many misses, uh, easily up to this point. Yeah, and, and none of the teams turned around. Um, you know, they still all kind of were looking for a rebuild. I guess Orlando's a little bit further along in it, and like got some decent pieces from it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uninspiring for sure. And then he does move over to. Sacramento, where it's only a three-month stretch, and you know, you mentioned him selecting Fox towards the beginning there, or him being a part of that, and rumored to be a decent voice in that selection. And what I saw was that he was a big factor in landing Sacramento that workout. Um, but you know, we've pointed out that I don't know if I love the rest of the draft where Sacramento traded down from ten to get fifteen and twenty, where they selected Justin Jackson and Harry Giles. Um, maybe we'd feel a little bit better if Giles was actually going to be on the team next year and uh, not due to, you know, front office incompetence there. But uh, in 15, Justin Jackson was traded for Harrison Barnes, who we like even despite that contract. But when you look at 10, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Bam Adebayo on the board, like some real game changers there. There's even a Jared Allen and an Obi a little bit later. Um, so, you know, not the best draft. And then also the 2017 signings, of George Hill, Zach Randolph, I mean, those are some questionable moves as well. So, I mean, I, I don't know how much I buy. Like, he came to Sacramento and made a great difference in this offseason just because of the De'Aaron Fox pick, really. Right, Rich? Yeah, it's definitely fair. And you can kind of – I mean, it's a little bit less clear significantly, – it's, it's, it's significantly less clear than the Durant pick in, you know, you pick second in a two-player draft. You know, you don't really want to give overwhelming credit uh, for that pick uh, back in 2007. But then you also look at this Fox pick, and a lot of people, at least the argument is, he was a, t- a consensus top five pick, and and the Kings had a, a top five draft pick. It's not like he went out and found a diamond in the rough. Now, that's kind of an unrealistic expectation to do that every year or any year, but it's hard to gauge how much of a home run that is. And I wanted to ask you, uh, Brendan, about the George Hill signing because, believe it or not, that's like the biggest signing in recent history for the Kings. And, of course, he was gone very, very quickly. Uh, but 
the total of $56 million for him, I think that is actually the, the biggest free agent signing of, a, of an outside free agent being acquired by the Kings, possibly in history, definitely in the last five years. It's interesting, like John pointed out, that you know it's it's kind of a win now move. I get the idea was to have a veteran presence for a somewhat young team, and I know Fox says that it was a nice uh, veteran for him. But yeah, I mean, you, I feel like it's hard to not say that 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 signing was a failure, really. Um, you know, I, maybe Fox wasn't ready to take the reins year one. He was a pretty pretty poor player in, in that first uh, season that he had in Sacramento, so. I mean, it's hard to not say that that was a a bad deal. Like, I, I guess I see the logic behind it, and the Randolph one is is just the the really inexcusable one. Like, I kind of see the logic with George Hill of you know you need some veterans on this young roster, but in the end, I mean, I don't think it's hard to even think at the time that happened that this very easily could go wrong. And sure enough. I just wonder, like, how much are we given any credit for? I mean, I, I know it's I know it's sad to talk about George Hill as the the biggest name signing in recent Kings history, but is there any credit deserved there? Where at least the the narrative is that he got them in the room with bigger names than <laughs> with than George a, Hill. I mean, seriously though, yeah. like you look, I've I think I've I, yeah, I recently does Vince out, Carter like, go in this maybe. The rest of this list is like it's garbage. I mean, like Aaron Aflalo is like high on the list of biggest contracts the Kings have signed outside of this. I, I think uh, the second is Dwayne Dedman. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, do you give him any credit for at least signing somebody? Like, I guess, but I think it more so points to like the idea that we're hearing recently that like Vlade couldn't get people to sit down like I, I don't think it's only Perry that could do this I guess is my point like there's so many other candidates that we're hearing being listed that I think would have decent connections and a respect level to them that could get a guy especially the level of like a George Hill to come to the table and at least have a conversation and have a chance of signing with the team so sure I mean like I, I could see where Perry maybe gets the credit for that but I think he's far from the only candidate for this job that would be able to do that. Um, and this is where we kind of move on to his time with the New York Knicks. And if you're all right with it, John, I think uh, this is your area of expertise. You can sure. kind of take the lead here and walk us through his, his tenure there. Yeah, so um, we kind of, you know, touched on it before. Um, he comes in in the middle of, I guess what I'll call a Carmelo Anthony trade uh, stalemate. Um, there was actually, before he was hired, there was a report from – uh, Frank Isola, who had, I think he was still covering the team at the time, I honestly don't remember, that there was a trade with between the, the Knicks and the Rockets for Carmelo Anthony to go there that was at the two-yard line. Um, you know, obviously, implication being that it was going to happen, which would have brought back, because, I mean, there was just no other way to, to, to make it work, um, Ryan Anderson's salary and, you know, who knows what future asset or something, draft pick, we, we really don't know. Um, but nobody much wanted to do that deal, and that was the trade that, um, you know, it seemed like Steve Mills was angling to, to do. So let me, I guess I should probably set up the situation. So Phil Jackson was the president of basketball operations, and Steve Mills at the time um, was the GM. 
and Phil Jackson was fired a couple days after the draft, and uh, it was supposed to be David Griffin's job, or and but he got cold feet, depending on what you believe, either because they Steve Mills signed Tim Hardaway Jr. to an offer sheet, um, or because he didn't have full control. Anyway, so the point is that Perry's walking into something of a not a great situation because you have Steve Mills, who Jim Dolan at the time was dead set on maintaining uh, a very important voice in basketball operations. So anyone who had to come in was going to have to work with Mills. That was going to be a prerequisite to the job. Um, And also, obviously, you're working for James Dolan, who historically has not been someone that has been easy to work for. So, and there's the mellow thing going on. So you have all of this stuff. Um, and he came in and he pulled off a really good deal with Carmelo Anthony. He, you know, found another trade partner in Oklahoma City. How much he personally smoothed things over with Melo to get him to kind of relent and join up with, you know, Russ and, and at the time PG. Um, but it was a good deal. Um, and they got back Candace's contract and Doug McDermott, who's still a semi interesting you know, young-ish player at the time. And then the pick, of course, that became Mitchell Robinson. Um, and, you know, they that that first season, like, he came in after the draft, after free agency, didn't really have a lot of wiggle room in terms of building the roster out that year. You know, he made some, some fringe moves. He signed Michael Beasley. Um, I think, he, yeah, he signed Jared Jack. And it's like, but that, like, right off the bat, we we you could sense like okay the Knicks had just drafted a rookie point guard in Frank Nilakina, so what does Scott Perry do? He goes and signs Jared Jack, and then Jared Jack ends up playing 30 minutes a night or 25 minutes a night, whatever it was. But I think probably more than a lot of Knicks fans um, would have liked, given the fact that they just invested in top 10 pick and a point guard. So the season starts off very well, and they're winning some games. They're above 500, I think, into December, and then. Um, they, you know, so Porzingis is playing well. They get to the trade deadline, and what happens at the trade deadline? They trade for Emmanuel Moutier, another point guard, and that kind of is the first reminder that Perry has a type, right? He has a type of, like, these uber-athletic, you know, usually bigger athletes for their position that they traditionally play, guys who maybe just aren't all that good at basketball. <laughs> and... Again, bringing Moutier into a situation, like, on the surface, yes, smart move. You got Emmanuel Moutier for a pick that ended up being in, like, the 40s. He was still young. He was still interesting at the time. But was it the smartest move looking at the big picture of, all right, I got this young point guard here already. We need to invest time and minutes in him. So then KP goes down with the injury, and that that season finishes out. And to me – you could pick a lot of things to to pick bones with with Scott Perry, um, you know, over his time here. To, job number one when he took that the GM job was to get the Knicks back in good graces with Christoph Porzingis because Phil Jackson had all but burned that bridge. And while there was some stuff that happened, like Fisdale went and visited, you know, KP and his uh, Lapia. Um, from everything I understood the situation, have, have heard about the situation is, is like basically, you know, KP was resistant to the organization's overtures. Um, and rather than kind of going full bore and really trying to get him back in, in the organization, like 
into the fold and believing in, in the program, they went the other way. And Perry and Mills, and again, how much of this is Perry, how much of this is Mills, we don't know. But they, when the, you know, the following season, when the trade ultimately came down, Porzingis to Dallas, you know, I, I feel very confident in saying that they were as happy to pull off that move, sending KP out um, for just, like, they, they did not want him here anymore, as much as he did not want to be here anymore. And that's on him. To me, it's the best young player the Knicks have had since Ewing. And then, you know, and, and obviously they did that with dreams of Durant in mind, which then gets you to the other major knock on the Perry regime, which is that they believed that, and, and again, this is the only rational explanation for why they would make that trade, they believed they had Durant in the bag. And obviously they did not have Durant in the bag. And there will be people who will swear up and down Durant was coming if he didn't tear the Achilles, but I've, I have strong reason to believe otherwise. So he's taking big risks. Um, the risks did not pan out. And he's putting, you know, his margin moves again for these guys like Hazonia, bringing Hazonia in, bringing Moutier in, bringing Beasley in. Um, you know, there are situations where you bring those guys in, but I don't think that was, you know, this team. And then that gets us to last offseason when essentially they had carte blanche to do whatever they wanted with the roster. They had more cap space than anybody in the league. They had more holes to fill than any team in the league. And what ended up happening was they found out that they weren't going to be getting Durant and, you know, whatever number two Durant wanted. And they put together a roster that didn't make any sense on paper. Um, I've heard it was basically just a mad dash to get the best players that they could get who would sign for the least amount of years. Um, And, you know, people, there are still Nick fans who say that good job by him. He didn't sign anybody past one season uh, other than Julius Randle, who he gave a second fully guaranteed year to. Um, But, again, if you're looking big picture and if if it's your job as a GM to put together a a cogent roster around a young core that maybe isn't the best young core in the world, but, you know, Barrett, Mitch, you know, Frank Knox is interesting. Um, He didn't do that. And, Nobody, I don't think anybody would look at this season in New York and say it was a success as far as we got the most we could have out of this year. Um, and I guess the other one, I, the other thing I should mention is is Kevin Knox. So, you know, there was a story actually that came out today from Ian Bagley, uh, who covers the Knicks here for uh, Sports New York, Sports at New York, that they had Shea Gilchrist Alexander in for a workout um, before that draft and decided not to pick him. Um, they apparently were thinking very hard about Macal Bridges, decided not to pick him. They decided not to take a chance on Michael Porter Jr. Um, and Knox, you know. All those guys can shoot. <laughs> and listen, in fairness, Knox was, that was supposed to be the one thing that Knox was, was going to be able to do is shoot. And his shot actually looked pretty good as a, as a rookie. But then, you know, and I'm sorry to keep repeating myself here, what, like, there should have been an awareness that, like, okay, you throw this kid into the deep end as a rookie, you play him 30 minutes a night, you give him all the shots he could possibly want. They then did a 180 and basically had him, you know, be, I don't know, ninth on the depth chart, 10th, whatever, like not a prominent role. Um, I went back and looked at the last 20 years' worth of um, top 10 picks 
and there had never been, other than like injury situations, there had never been a player who got as much usage and, and minutes as a rookie that had that big of a reduction from year one to year two. And then you ask yourself, well, why is that? He actually had a fairly, not a great, good rookie year, but he was like rookie of the month in December. He got some old rookie team votes. Why would you do that? Well, you do it when you're trying to save your job, right? And that really gets to the core of Perry. He he likes bringing in vets, guys who he feels will win more games now. He feels that's the best best path towards building the team long term. And um, the only thing is he forgot that you need – you know, certain things in the NBA today <laughs> to to win games, like shooting. Um, like the fact that they banked on Julius Randle to be something of a stretch four and like, I don't know, LeBron James light in terms of a playmaker and do all that under a coach and David Fisdale who was never much of an X's and O's genius. And and again, Fisdale was, was, was a Perry hire. Um, so... I guess in short, and I'm sorry, I've been talking for a long time, but I've, I've trust me, I've spent a lot of time thinking about Scott Perry's tenure here. Were there some solid moves here and there? Yes, the Mitchell Robinson pick, you know, RJ, you know, we'll see what RJ Barrett is, even though that's the pick everybody expected them to make. Um, they got a, a nice, some Charlotte picks from Willie Hernan Gomez. Like, there are some nice moves on the periphery, but if you're looking for a GM who's going to come in and has like a vision for what your organization is supposed to be and execute that vision, you know, acceptably. I just don't think Scott Perry has shown any, any evidence that he is your guy. Now, is he someone that is respected around the league and he has like a good scouting eye and can he work well in difficult situations? Like he walked into here with having to work with Mills and work for Dolan. Yeah. So from that perspective, if you're looking at someone who's going to play nice with Joe Dumars and Vivek Randadiv, it's like, yeah, then Scott Perry might be your guy. But like a long-term a long-term big picture guy for Sacramento, I just, you know, I don't know. That that's to me where I can't get from point A to point B. Yeah. Uh none of that is like too inspiring too much confidence in me to be honest and you know, you said that Perry has a a type of player that he likes the most. The more you talk about it, the more Fox seems to fit that actually is like a point guard that isn't a particularly great shooter but does have really uh, eye-popping athleticism. And he works his butt off too, which is I think another – he likes workers. And Knox is that way too. But, again, you got to put yourself in a situation to succeed. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I can see that. And Fox, I mean, Fox seems to be on the higher end of outcomes – of, of any picks that he may have influenced so far. But, yeah, I, I do want to – I, I want to dig in on this last offseason a little bit more because – Sure. You know, you mentioned it, but um, when – you know, as, as soon as you knew that Durant and co. weren't coming, you know, did you – were you on that side? You mentioned kind of it was split where some fans were like, good, just get these short-term deals in there, sign – Taj Gibson to a, you know, whatever, $8 million deal, whatever it was, um, or were you looking for something else? No, I, I, think, I think there was definitely merit to keeping yourself uh, liquid, I guess, is the, is the best way to say it. Um, but at the same time, I think that there was such a 
there was, and let me, I'll, so I've heard from enough people to, to feel very confident in saying this. Like, Scott Perry is incredibly proud of the fact that he cleaned the books here in New York. Like, he is not bashful about talking about it to others. Um, because, you know, for most of the last two decades, the Knicks have been a team where you just filled with one bad contract after another. And so it, he was so dead set on not becoming that that I think he may have missed some other opportunities out there. Like, for instance, um, he signed the Julius Randle contract. So that's two fully guaranteed years with a third partially guaranteed for $4 million. Julius Randle is the last thing you should have on a team without a point guard that could shoot, with a with a center who can't shoot, and with R.J. Barrett who came in as a rookie who really couldn't shoot. If instead he, you know, would have maybe looked at bringing in a Ricky Rubio, and again, not that Ricky Rubio is the best shooter in the world, um, but to, like, Ricky Rubio wanted a third guaranteed year. Scott Perry clearly was not willing to to do that, and yet that is the type of guy who would have taken what else is on the roster and maybe made it make sense. Um, but there just wasn't that kind of um, – I almost it, it's it sounds weird to say like signing a guy to three years guaranteed is outside the box thinking, but I think for Perry that would have been a little outside the box. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Part of the issues of, like, you know, you pointed out the really interesting uh, bringing in Jared Jack right after signing or drafting Neil Aquina. And, yeah. I mean, that's, like, eerily similar to drafting De'Aaron Fox and bringing in George Hill. And yeah. he didn't stay around to really necessarily, you know, maybe learn from that or have to deal with it. But that's kind of the same mistake uh, pretty close back-to-back there. And then I get really hesitant looking at, you know, re-upping with uh, Mario Hazonia and Alfred Payton, like not giving up on guys that he drafted back in his tenure in Orlando, right? Yeah, he definitely, again, he has his guys and he, you know, like I wouldn't, if he ends up in Sacramento, I wouldn't be surprised to see him bring in someone from his from his past, maybe even someone from the Knicks, who knows? Draft um, Denny, he's pretty much Mario Hazonia. <laughs> oh, that, oh God! One of us might end up with Denny after after uh, <laughs> see how it goes tonight. So, uh, watch your tongue. Um, you know, but like it's and it, you know, there's been rumors for a while that Perry was not the biggest fan of Milikina. Um, and that's whatever. That's that's fine. But I still think even if you inherit a player who's not your the player type you want, um, you want to give him the best chance to succeed. And, you know, it's his Milikina's lack of offensive game has kind of become a punchline at this point. But there were moments early in his rookie year where he showed real promise, and yet there there was never really an investment in him to see what he could really 
um, become from a from a play calling perspective for many. And then that you know to fast forward two years to this season, um, you know Steve Mills was fired in late or excuse me in early February. The team was they had whatever it was the second or third worst record in the league. They made the um, the Marcus Morris trade um, in which they sent him out for for Mo Harkless. Everybody around here is like, okay, well, Mo Harkless probably going to get bought out. What ends, you know, and and it opens the door for Knox to start. What ends up happening? Mo Harkless starts, plays 25 to 30 minutes a night, and Knox is on the bench getting like 10, 15 minutes for a team that's essentially in last place. So, and, and I know because I asked the interim coach at the time, um, Mike Miller about his rotation decisions and lineup decisions and he would he would say openly him and him and Perry communicated on a daily basis they were in lockstep about who was playing and you know what roles they would have so he right down to the end of this season felt like no I'm going to continue playing veterans I'm going to continue we're going to continue to try to win games um would that have changed if the season continued and we would have seen the last 15 games maybe um but you know he he kind of he he he's a guy that I think is set in his ways. Let me let me say that. I think it's probably the best way to put it. So what's his current situation and going forward? Um, you know, I, I I'm not you know the executive contracts are not nearly as successful obviously as player contracts. But do you have an understanding of what his situation is and and really not that not that contracts really can stop a, a move like that as we saw him going from the Kings to the Knicks uh, right at the beginning of his contract. But uh, what what is his his outlook right now, and do you want him to stick around? I, I've i been – so, you know, something else I should mention that's a positive. Is Perry, he is, by all indications, very good at setting up, um, like, plans of and preparation for the draft. Um, he's very organized, like, all of that. So, like, he – has done everything to set up the Knicks for this draft, you know, whether it ends up occurring October 16th or not. Um, and I'm sure he has done work to set up their free agent board and, and all of those things. So I think if, like, if you were to walk out the door today, that would probably not be ideal um, because he, I'm sure, to some degree is, is an important figure behind the scenes. Again, just in terms of all the systems that he set up, but, since Leon Rose has been officially hired, he's brought on Walt Perrin um, from the Utah Jazz, who's now the director of college scouting. And there's already been reports that if Perry leaves for Sacramento, you know, Perrin is going to kind of he, – he'll be the GM. Um, at the very least, you know, when you think of a GM, right, you think of the guy who's essentially – he's going to be making the decisions for an organization. I think the the impression that – I have gotten and has been made around here is that he does not quite have that level of power anymore. It's, it's, you know, Leon is here. He brought in Brock Aller, who's like a cap specialist from Cleveland. Uh, I mentioned Perrin. He brought in uh, Frank Zanin, who is the director of, who's now the director of um, uh, pro scouting from Oklahoma city. Again, bringing in guys from like really good organizations. And my understanding is that it's much more of a team approach in the front office right now. Um, so I think his, his power has, has lessened. Um, and I, 
you know, it, we'll, you know, we'll see. I think that's why I think Sacramento would be interesting to him because I think as much as he does want to make it work here in New York, and I think he would figure out a way to to be a good part of like the team here, um, the front office team. I mean, um, you know, I think everybody wants to get a chance to call the shots, and it seems like he would be getting a chance to call the shots there um, at the very least. Definitely, what it sounds like in that Shams uh, Amick piece that yeah, the quote: "While Perry has one season remaining on his deal with the Knicks." who recently hired former agent Leon Rose as team president above Perry, a source with knowledge of his situation, said he would be interested in returning to the Kings so long as he had the fast, final basketball say. Yeah. Um, yeah, reads to me like that's not currently the case in New York. And, yeah, I mean, I would love for a, uh entire front office team to go on in Sacramento. You know, at very least, <laughs> one thing you can say for Perry is, you know, there's two decades of experience here in a front office. and you know, it's a uh, compare compared to Divac coming in with hardly any experience, and you know you shouldn't pick someone just because it's an upgrade over a a poor decision prior. Um, because, like I said, I believe there's better candidates out there, but at very least, like I would say that you know Perry has a good amount of experience under his belt, and there is you know there's there's some outlier uh, situations that you know, really look bad. Obviously, like that Ibaka trade might might even be the worst one there. Um, but there's also okay moves. Like, I, I worry about it seems like a tendency to, um, you know, try to win now when he probably should be looking to tank and acquire young talent or at least play that young talent. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can comfortably say Perry's not my guy. Um, it wouldn't be the Worst thing, I guess, but I, I mean, I think it would be a mistake with potentially some of the other candidates out there. Um, how do you kind of feel about Perry as potential for the job here, Rich? Uh, I don't feel good about it. Something's not right here. I just think it's strange that there's this report that if Perry were hired, he could have potential, you know, final call, uh, as much control as is really possible. But then there's also these reports where We've seen conflicting word on if Dumars would be having the final call, and now they're saying he wouldn't, you know, Perry wouldn't be answering to Dumars or whoever's hired wouldn't be answering to Dumars. But if Dumars picks Perry with that connection, uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like maybe there is, we're going, we're going to be reverting back to these decision making by tandem or in groups and. By committee, um, it gets very muddy with who makes what decisions, and that's never really clear. There's very few organizations where it's clear. But the experience doesn't really mean anything to me. I would be just as happy to bring in um, an exciting young executive that didn't have 20 years of experience. And just kind of as we've been talking, I went through and I've been adding up wins and losses of the teams that he's ran. And in the last decade, he is – his teams are 281 wins to 589 losses. That doesn't sound right. Average season, uh, average uh, of 26 wins per season, um, or at least a, a winning percentage that equates out to 26 wins per season. No winning seasons, even if you go back further than 10 years, no winning seasons until you get all the way back to that first stint with Detroit where he was not even an executive, uh, or at least not uh, a high-ranking executive. So, yeah, man, not not stoked. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. Not stoked. I, I the, one, oh, the last thing I'll, I'll say really quick is it's, you know, 
the, the situation there, it really does remind me so much of the situation that Perry walked into here, which was your, your, which is why I think Nick fans were very happy to get Perry because it's like, okay, we just finished with Phil Jackson who like it, whether he kind of started to figure out by the end, it was very clear that he was a coach doing a job that he was not prepared to do. Um, and that lasted for, for far too long. Um, but he, so he was out and then you had Steve Mills who was, you know, a business person um, and was, was running a basketball team. So with Perry, it's like, all right, this is a professional. We know he knows like the, the basics, right? He put one foot in front of the other, so to speak. And he did that. And he, I think repaired, like, it, it was, it, I couldn't help but laugh when I read in the Shamsby's that, like, Perry would be seen as, uh, or, sorry, when he went to Sacramento, he, like, helped repair relationships around the league and, and stuff like that. Like, he did that stuff here, too, because Phil had pissed a lot of people off. Um, and then, you know, Steve came in. He worked with Scott Perry the whole thing. So, like, against, like, your, your um you know, your top guys, like your Wagners from Toronto and um, uh, Zarin from, from Boston. And, like, like, you're really upper echelon. Like, these are the these are the people who have not yet had an opportunity to run a team that should probably get a chance. Like, are those guys really going to be okay with whatever this Dumars, GM, Vivek love triangle setup is? Um, Perry will probably be okay with it, you know? Um, that's the thing. So I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah, the hope definitely that whoever uh, they are able to pitch to, yeah, I mean, some of these upper echelon candidates are gonna want a final say in everything and not have that muddied by you know the say of of Dumars and such. And that's obviously the hope here. And you know, the last thing I kind of want to give your get your thoughts on here, John, or we are recording this about an hour and a half before the draft lottery, and I'm wondering, you know, New York's sitting here with the six best odds. Who are sort of uh, your guys in this draft that you're really eyeing? Um, yeah, I mean, we were talking about a little beforehand. Um, I, I'm i pretty high on LaMelo Ball just because I think um, I, I don't think there's really any elite skills in this draft. Um, other than I would say arguably his his passing his his vision and to a slightly lesser extent his handle, um, there's a ton of question marks with him. I think there's reason to believe that New York is not reason to believe there, it, New York is not the best situation for him to be successful in. But um, you know I think they you know I said it on my podcast the other day and I got some pushback on it. I think other than Detroit, New York has less top end talent than any team in the league. Um, like maybe Cleveland, you could have an argument, but um, so they just have to get guys in their building who have the potential to make an all-star team someday. And um, to me, the clearest path to that is LaMelo. Uh, so I'm, I don't want to say I'm all in on him, but I, I would be, that's why I'll, you know, that's the guy I'll be hoping to get. I think Hayes is, is a really interesting prospect. I think he, um, you know, he's a, he's got a lot of what you want in the NBA today, even though, again, you'd like to be drafting a guy who has more than a 30% um, three-point uh, you know conversion rate. Although 
his um most of that is is brought down by his catch and shoot numbers. His off the dribble numbers are actually outstanding. So uh, I'd be thrilled with Hayes too. Um, and I guess what do you, what do you uh, think of Toppin? I've kind of fallen for that pairing with Robinson, even though he's a oh, older guy. Nah, you know it's funny. He's the one guy I don't want because yeah, I think it sounds great. Like Toppin can stretch the floor, but like. It just reminds me of the conversations that I was having last offseason about Julius Randle. Like, Julius Randle had hit um, – God, what did he hit? He, he shot a respectable three-point percentage in uh, New Orleans the, the previous season. It's like, okay, it's fine. He's going to he's gonna be out there. He's going to be shooting threes. Like, put aside for the fact even – let's say OB Toppin walks in, you know, the league next year as a 38% three-point shooter. That dude wants to live on the block. Like that's where he wants to be. That's where he wants to eat. He wants to average twenty a game, and he wants to. He's not. He's not Danilo Gallinariing it out, you know, or to to use a recent Kings example, um, you know, Bielitsa. Like that's not Obi Toppin. He wants to be down low. And to me, the one elite thing on the Knicks roster currently is Mitchell Robinson's verticality. So to me, I I want to give him as much room to work and um try to put pieces around around him that will, will, you know, maximize his potential, and RJ's, obviously, too. And, and so I, I'm not for Toppin. Um, he's like, honestly, him and Wiseman are the only two guys that I'm really, like, not I'm not there on. Um, I think it would be an interesting draft, though. Like, nothing, like I was saying, telling you guys before we started recording, nothing would shock me that they, that they did. I personally have only two guys that I want in New York. We've done a bunch of, like, um, mock drafts on this show. And there's only two guys that I want New York to draft. Lamelo, obviously, if they move up or if they trade up. But if, say, they're jumped by two or three teams, they fall to, like, pick eight or nine, whatever. Uh, I I want I would not mind seeing some Cole Anthony New York Knicks because uh, you just need a, a hyped point guard. You need, like, a high-level, uh, like, in terms of hype, in terms of name recognition, I don't care if it's, like, I think the first thing, when we did our Cole Anthony episode, breaking him down, I was like, this guy is going to lead the Knicks to 25 wins the next five years. <laughs> I just believe it. Well, the Knicks uh, have to take him, or else Rich is going to try to get Sacramento to take him at 12, and I hate that idea. So it's funny you bring up Cole because, again, we've talked, spent this whole episode talking about Scott Perry. Like, if there's one, if there's two guys in the entire draft, then I'm like, oh, those are, those are Scott, those, those are guys that Scott Perry would pick. It's Obi Toppin. Um, and it's it's Cole Anthony, and I I've gone back and forth on Cole because I think for as much as we you know NBA nerds like like us get lost in the weeds of the, all the different things like shot profile and and like he's like all, like checking off all the different boxes of what a guy could do, what a guy could be elite in, what a guy terrible at, like. You need shot makers, and that dude profiles potentially as a really, really good shot maker, even at the next level. I just think there's such a slim chance, like so much has to go right for him to reach that. Like even like a, I, I, I shudder to put Kemba Walker's name and Cole Anthony's name in the same sentence because like it's just, again, so much would need to go right. And I just – it's too big of a chance for me. Um, the, the point guard, actually, if they, like, stayed at, like, eight or nine, um, I'm I'm all about uh, Lewis from Alabama, uh, Kyra Lewis. I think he – I know he's mocked – some people have him mocked in, like, 20s, which I think is ridiculous because he's 
he's a year younger than Cole Anthony or more than a year younger than Cole Anthony, even though he was a sophomore. But, um, you know, dude has blazing speed, great defensive instincts. Um, he's, you know, maybe not the most transcendent passer, but really good, uh, really good pick and roll player D- can make some nice whip passes. Um, I, I personally buy the shot. Um, and yeah, I think he was like, he was like top ten in college basketball in minutes last year. He the, he he doesn't sit down. He's like a he's a he's an energizer bunny. So if they were to not move up, I I think that's the guy that I would probably want them to take, unless they took like a, a Devin Vassell, um, yeah. who is just going to be, you know, what what more do you want than a Devin Vassell in the league today? Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I stand. Well, it's exciting because the Knicks do get to remake their team. Really, I mean, I just want to go back to that point about Perry tearing down the the salary cap. Uh, they really can become whatever. I think the only guaranteed money on the books for 2021-22 is Joachim Noah's uh, money. <laughs> well, they have some rookie contracts, but but other than other than their rookie contracts, uh, yeah, and they and there's also um, because, and those are options. If they really want to decline Barrett, they can get out of that. <laughs> I guess, yeah, they could get out of Barrett's money. Um, they also, and actually, no, so uh, Julius Randle has $4 million guaranteed coming to him in 21-22 uh, also, sadly. So there's a, there is a very distinct possibility we could have $10 million in dead money on our cap in the uh, 2021-22 season. Final question for you. I, I reached out to ask you about this yesterday uh, to bring it back to the Kings. Sure. I wanted to get uh, your thoughts on a Buddy Heald trade to New York. The reason why I thought of New York is because of that cap space, and um, I ran a trade past you, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to run in the B soon because you didn't tell me I was completely insane, so that's enough for <laughs> me to, to put it forward, but... Just in general, I mean, any interest in Heald as an outside observer? You know, where's his stock? Do you think that a team like the Knicks would want to use any? I mean, they could, with that, with the way their cap is, they could add Heald's contract and still have, like, two max sure. spots. So. Well, that would be a little, I don't know if they could, it would take, it would take a lot of maneuvering. Um, but to me, if, and I've, I've trust me, I've thought up and down because again, the word around here is that Leon Rose is going to want to bring in a name, uh, you know, a, 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 a some instant upgrade um, for next season, um, and not 38 year old Carmelo Anthony, although I expect him to be back. So like Heald checks that box because Heald is a name, and he has you know his his elite skill is the elite skill that the Knicks are missing. Um, more than anything I, on paper, and and I guess that's going to be my pushback against why I personally wouldn't want Buddy Hield. I think yes, shooting is you know you can't win if you don't have shooting in the NBA today, and and shooting off movement and elite shooting, shooting with range. It's like just you know turn on any game today, but I think just like to pay that money for a guy who. That's we're not talking about Clay Thompson here in terms of his his level of shot making. Where it's like a level below that, I think. And that's no. I hope that doesn't come off as any, um, you know, any um, something against Buddy Hill. Like Clay Thompson is one of the best shooters of all time. But I like Hill to me is a level below that. 
But when you take into account the defense and when you take into account, like, you know, we're watching teams now in the in the bubble, it's like you're just reminded of the value of smart playmakers who can make others around them better. And I and you guys obviously would know better than me. I personally don't have the impression that healed is that. So it's like if you're giving me elite shooting and really good defense, yeah, I'm paying $20 million. If you're giving me elite shooting and, like, passable defense and some playmaking, happily paying $20 million a year. If you're giving me elite shooting and I'm not – I don't have that other thing. So, for me, it's less about what New York would have to give up to get him, and it's more about just, like, taking on that contract and that money because it, it does last for four years – four more years because the extension hasn't even kicked in yet. And – you know, the report from Woj today with, you know, the NBA maybe setting an artificial cap because they're not going to be able – it would dip below the current cap number if they went off of the financials. Like, this is not the economic climate that I – if I'm the Knicks and I have all the leeway in the world that I want to be taking on um, $94 million. It's that, you know, and just to put a cap on it, especially when we're looking at, at the bubble and seeing, like, your – you know, your Gary Trent Juniors and your, um, you know, the the guys in Miami and, like, every team it seems like. I mean, freak, freaking Grayson Allen was draining threes for Memphis. It's like there are shooters out there. Are they as good a shooter as Buddy Hill? No. Um, but they're they're really good, and I think you could find those guys, um, even not on the scrap heap, but you don't need to pay $20 million a year for it. So that's, that's my – I hope that doesn't come off as crazy because, I, again, I don't watch as much New York Kings basketball as you do, but that's, that's my impression of Buddy Hill. So. Very reasonable. Uh, understandable that, you know, stock gone down. And, yeah, it's funny. We were happy with the deal at the time. And, yeah, now I feel a little bit different after, you know, what could be pointed out as a little bit of a misutilization of Heald and his talents. Uh, but, yeah, like you're – I'm just curious. Would you guys – if you could get rid of him, like – this is maybe a, a little bit too absurd an example, but if some team was just willing to take his contract for like, you know, a, a second round pick, like that, how would that? I'm curious, how would that go over in Sacramento? Poorly, very poorly. poorly. Okay. <laughs> I mean, poorly? Okay. it would go poor, but I kind of don't think it's terrible because they're gonna end up having to choose between Bogey, Bogey Buddy. Now, well, Bogey is a guy. If you want to talk to about, but we could we could sit here for another hour talking about Bogdanovich. So that's you want to talk about a guy that I want to see on the Knicks. Oh goodness. Well, that's interesting. I mean, it it they might have to trade sign and trade Bogey if they if they can't figure out a place for Buddy to go. That's I mean, you're you're speaking my language because I've been on that train for a minute, just saying this isn't going to go how people think it's going to go. People think that the Kings are going to be able to trade uh, Harrison Barnes for an asset. Trade uh, Buddy Yield for first, you know, a high first round pick. That's like here in New it's York, Julius Randall. That's people are like, hey, let's trade Randall to the, you know, the Bulls. Uh, yeah. To get like Lori Market, like that's a little bit too extreme. But like, if you don't want your players, the right. odds are that other teams don't want your players. <laughs> right, and the Knicks could really use an elite shooter, and they have all the money in the world going forward. And you're sitting here like, ah, I don't know if I'd give up Dennis Smith Jr. for him. Like, you know, basically, it's not about Dennis Smith yeah. Jr. It's about right. paying the co- – yeah, that's – it's just No, no, and I agree. I mean, I just think that's – with the COVID especially, I just think it's not going to go how Kings fans want it to go. Right. Um, I'm curious, is there a number that you guys have in mind? Like, what do you think Bogey – do you think they have a cap on what, they, what they'll what they give Bogey um, this summer? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think that he's a 20 million guy after the COVID thing. Like, my number I've kind of had, and this was before that, was like four years, 70. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a little lower. Are you kind of in the same range with that, Rich? Yeah, in that ballpark, it is really hard to say with the – with the financial struggles, like I don't think it's completely out of the question that Sacramento capitulates because they're suffering that badly financially. I don't know how severe it is. I do know that well, I've read that uh, the Kings are responsible for Golden One Center as well, so it's not like they are paying a lease on that, that they're responsible for the finances of the new arena. Um, I'll double-check if that's the case, but uh, that's one of the things that Anik has put forward as, as – uh, a team that is struggling financially, and that's one of the reasons he cited. So, I mean, we've heard speculation that they'll just decline, or not decline, but rather wave in Manu Bielitsa just to get off of that money. Really? Uh, and that's a good player for $7 million. Oh, and it, I love like, Bielitsa. So these are the moves that I don't think are impossible. Uh, I think they, yeah, I, I think in reality, they, I mean, they've put themselves in a terrible position because – if they just let Bogdanovich go, that could be a cripp- like crippling, crippling thing. You can't just walk – you can't let talent walk out the door if you're already as bad as the Kings are. But it's just I, – I, it's, I think it's really possible that that happens. I don't see the team – I mean, maybe I'm missing a team. Um, but, again, we keep, we keep going back to it, especially in this, in this climate, like who's the team offering him, you know, four for 80? I, just, I personally don't – don't see that team out there, but I may, again, maybe, maybe I'm missing someone. Yeah, maybe 460 with the climate. Like I could see, I could see a team going high, like to um. Well, no, it's he's a restricted free agent, so it has. To, well, no, yeah, it's a restricted free agent, so it has to be at least two years. But like a two plus, a two plus one, or even just like a, um. You know, a straight. I think they could do. I think you could do a straight two-year deal um, as a to, for an offer sheet yeah. um, at like a lot of money. Like I, but I don't. I don't know. I um. I'm I'm gonna be watching that situation closely because I, I was I was on a podcast earlier this year and I think I said some absurd thing like I would give up like both like we have we own Dallas's picks in like 2021 and 2023. I was like, I, I think I said I would give up both Dallas picks, both Dallas picks, and both we own the Hornets second rounders um, uh, this year and next year. I think I said I would give up all four of those picks, and I think I named a player for for Bogdanovich, and everybody thought I was it was lunacy. But I, I'm just, I personally am just extraordinarily. I'm a big fan of of, of his. So yeah, yeah. Well, I think we should. Take that deal. I mean, I, the, what I've been looking at is like you know Frankie Smokes and Dennis Smith and maybe Kevin Knox or pick twenty seven for, but either Buddy or, or Bogey. Like I think that that's probably how this is gonna. Well, yeah, it'll be interesting if you know. I mean, I, we'll see how long the search. I'll, I'll put big air quotes around the word search process. <laughs> um, we'll see how long the search process takes. If you if we assume that it's going to take two months, which dovetails nicely with Perry staying on here through the draft and free agency. And free agency starts and Bogey's sitting there and with, you know, the qualifying offer on the table and Perry is all of a sudden your GM. Um, you know, he drafted Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox hasn't worked out here in New York, although we just 
hired his college coach as a, one of our assistants. Um, I don't know. I could, you know, crazy, crazier things have happened, right? Yeah. Well, can't thank you enough, John, for coming on the show and taking the time out of your day. Uh, just want to promote some of the work you do. You know, Nick's film school, you mentioned the Strickland that started up. I see the step back here. Um, am I missing anything else? You got a lot going on. The, the <laughs> yeah. Spy with, with Adam Taylor. From yeah, my, my boy, at, who said to say hi. I told him before that I, I recorded with him. We had a spot with Jeff Goodman earlier today. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if you, for some reason, want to read about Nick's takes or listen to Nick's takes, um, just Google Nick's Film School. I have a daily newsletter, um, that I send out, um, well, every day, as it were, or every weekday, and then a podcast, Nick's Film School podcast. So those are the two main things, and then, yeah, I have some other stuff around the edges, and, uh, yeah, definitely check out, um... Uh, like I said, that conversation with Jeff Goodman was, was very good. Um, the Hoop Spy, where we got to interview George Carl, actually, of all people, your old coach. We interviewed him a few weeks ago. That was fun. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's where you can find it. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yep, and thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. Go support the great guys at the King's Herald there. Take a look at their Patreon, support local King's coverage. And thanks to everybody for listening to this episode. You're here from us again in the next couple of days here. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and Basketball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion, we'll go with six-time NBA champion, Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.